Hello, everyone. We're back here after the Neil Keefe interview for a little wrap-up on the East Coast Bias Podcast, Episode 3. And I wanted to talk more baseball. Um, you know, when I put out the tweet on, uh, on the account of the podcast at East Coast Bias 2 on Twitter, I wanted to talk about the Angels, and I want to talk about Cincinnati. So, of course, the Angels, we know their story. We know that they haven't been able to get the job done. They got star players in the lineup. You know, they have Trout, of course, Hotani, Rendon, Fletcher, who's really come on in a, as a really nice player, as well as Iglesias. They signed in free agency, but they haven't been able to get that pitching. Um, they made a nice trade this offseason with Cincinnati, another team I wanted to talk about, um, to get Rafael Iglesias in their bullpen. But the real thing has been starting pitching. And they've gotten just enough this year um, to really have a great start. They're 6-3 and three so far, tied with the Astros for first in the AL West. Yes, have they given up a lot of runs? Of course, um, they've given up 53 runs, which as of the morning of the 12th on Monday, it's the second most runs given up in the AL at 53. Um, they're, you know, only Oakland has given up more runs. So the Angels are in a really good spot. I really love how they're playing. Um, they've had really exciting games. Of course, that Sunday night baseball game against the White Sox where Jared Walsh hit a walk-off home run. Um, and others. Um, they did have some really tough news as their starting outfielder, Dexter Fowler, has torn his ACL. He's out until 2022, of course. He's out 69 months, so that'll take him to the end of the season. But I really um, think they could take it. I think that they have the depth um, and they have the team to really compete this year. I'm not saying to compete for a division, um, but I am saying to compete um, for a wild card spot um, in the AL, you know, there's so many teams that could really, you know, take over this year. Um, when we look at each at you know playoff like teams, um, you think of the Yankees, you think of Tampa Bay or Toronto, um, which most likely one of those teams, or two of those three teams, I should say, um, are going to take up a division spot and a wild card spot in the AL Central. You, you believe that you know the White Sox or Minnesota are gonna, is going to win that division. And then you look at the West and it's Houston. Um, so that fifth team could absolutely be the Angels if it's not Toronto or Tampa. Um, so I think they're, they're right there. I know it's early. I know they're only, you know, nine games in or so. Um, but I really like how they're playing. And I think they could do um, very special things this year if their pitching can hold up, which they have so far. So let's move over to the National League um, real quick. And I wanted to talk about the Cincinnati Reds. So the big thing with the Reds throughout last year through the 16 season, um, we saw in the playoffs when they scored a total of zero runs, um, was that they couldn't hit. They couldn't put um, the bat in the ball, and they couldn't drive in runs. Well, folks, they have driven in the most runs in the National League so far with 66, and it's by a very large margin to the Dodgers, who are second. The Reds are 6-3, and three, just as the Angels are. Um, and they're looking really good. Tyler Naquin has come on as a big player. Nick Castellanos has lit a fire under that team after, you know, he somehow got a suspension, but that's for another day. Um, they're owning Great American Ballpark. They're five and one at home. And I really think that their schedule has been, it's been all right. They've played um, the Cardinals and they've played, um, they've played the Cardinals um, during their run. They've also played the D-backs and the Pirates, so not not the craziest of schedules so far, and they have a few more teams that they can beat up on. Um, so looking you know, at the future schedule, they have the Giants um, for three games, which is on the road. It's not the easiest series. Um, then the Indians, and then the D-backs again. Um, 
So they have a, a few series that they could really, you know, shine and, and gain that lead in the NL, NL East or NL Central, I should say. Um, that's really not the most competitive division. Um, you know, St. Louis made a big splash this all season getting Arenado, but that was really the only splash. The Cubs, we don't know where they are. Um, Milwaukee, they're kind of just sitting tight and not making any, you know, big moves. They have a few um, nice pitchers in Woodruff and Corbin Burns, um, but that's pretty much it. And then, of course, um, Pittsburgh is just Pittsburgh. Uh, so when you look at the NL Central, Cincinnati could definitely take over. It's just a matter of if their offense can hold up in this, um, you know, hot streak. And we'll see if they can. Um, I do believe that they can hold on for a few more, um, you know, series and maybe into May or mid-May. But I do think it's St. Louis's division to lose. Um, but Cincinnati could definitely make some noise, and they have so far. Um, so I believe that their offense could hold up, but it's so difficult with them because they're so inconsistent. Um, so I hope everyone enjoyed the Neil Keefe interview. Um, I think it was a really nice interview. We sat down for about 25, 30 minutes. Um, and we just go, went to all Yankees. We went into why they're struggling so far, why they haven't, you know, won the big one just yet in this, you know, 2017 to 2021 um, window that they've had, um, you know, with Judge Sanchez um, and Stanton coming in 18 and, and all the players like and Torres. Um, so they, they, we'll see how the Yankees do, but I hope everyone enjoyed the interview. And then we talked a little bit about the Angels and the Reds. Uh, but this is episode three, East Coast Bias Podcast, Dylan Pescator. All right. All right. Awesome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the East Coast Bias Podcast with Dylan Pescatore. We have a big guest today, Neil Keefe, host of the Keefe to the City podcast and blog, and of course, the author of The Next Yankees Era, My Transition from the Core Four to the Baby Bombers. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Dylan. Nice to be here. Of course. So we're going to start with a pretty broad question. Um, it's something that I notice, um, you know, throughout scrolling my timeline on Twitter and just realizing the media. Um, you're one of the most honest guys on Twitter um, and in the media when it comes to Yankees or in sports. Um, you know, we always, you know, see the positive spin from whatever, um, you know, media source it may be, but you really, you know, get down to the facts. Do you feel like you're in the minority with your mindset? Um, I don't necessarily know if I'm in the minority. I think, uh, you know, for Yankees fans who follow a lot of the beat guys, um, you know, certainly they have to have a much different perspective than we can as fans and the way we write or talk about the team as fans. You can, you know, say what's on your mind. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, editors or, or, you know, crossing any line with, you know, you know, back in the day when I worked at CBS Sports and WFAN right out of school, um, it certainly was much different than, what I can do now on my own in, in the sense that, you know, there's partnerships with the teams there's relationships with the teams or sponsorship deals with the team. So you never want to step on any toes or cross any lines or boundaries. So uh, when you're sort of on your own as a fan, you can say what's on your mind. So I guess it's really, you know, what's the following you pick on social media or who are the people that you read or listen to that sort of, uh, you know, what will determine uh, the honesty. But for the most part, I think just, Yankees fans as a whole, and, you know, maybe this is other fan bases as well. It's tough to say because I'm not a fan of theirs. Uh, but it just seems like fans for the Yankees are so quick to back the moves that the team makes to agree with every decision they make uh, when that's not necessarily the right thing to do. I mean, this team has spent hundreds of millions in the billions of dollars in the last 12 years, has nothing to show for it, has four ALCS losses, hasn't been to the World Series since the last time they've won it. They continuously, continuously bring back the same team. Uh, you know, they have the greatest financial resources in the game and are scared of the luxury tax threshold when a team like the Dodgers or the Red Sox a couple of years ago blow past it in the 
you know, in the course of, of a quest for a championship. And the Yankees have just become a different team over the last two years. And, and it's very frustrating to watch. So um, I do enjoy being honest about the team because I feel like a lot of fans do feel this way, but so many are so easily swayed by what the team does. Absolutely. It's, it's a very, you know, rare um, thing to actually see on Twitter. I hope people actually have the mindset, but are, you know, too scared to actually put it out. Um, in 2017, um, you know, one of the best years of Yankee baseball I've ever seen, especially, you know, with how young I am, the, the run was out of nowhere. I mean, the team made the wild card game. We were down 3-0 in the first inning against the Twins. And then, you know, what happened after that? And then kept coming back 2-0 against uh, Cleveland. And then, of course, losing to Houston in seven. But how much hope and promise did you have for the team, you know, during and after that run came to an end? Yeah, that was one of the best seasons of my life. And certainly, you know, I'm a little older than you are. So I've had, you know, a couple more glory years than you got to experience. But uh, that was just a fun season. The team wasn't supposed to do anything. They were picked by a lot of people to finish last in the AL East. Uh, they got off to a, a pretty decent start. They challenged the Red Sox, you know, right to the end for the division when the Red Sox were really built to win now. And if you go back to 2016, when the Yankees sold at the deadline and got rid of every tradable asset, it was sort of like 2019 will be the year they contend. And then to jump right into it the next year in 17 with the young core and the young players who were so fun to watch, so easy to root for, that when they, when they got to game six of Houston. I remember that day thinking like, holy shit, this team could win. This team could be in the world series tomorrow. And they blew game six. They couldn't hit in game seven and, and they, and they blew the chance. But when they made the final out of game seven, I wasn't even upset. It wasn't a crushing loss like 2018 or 19 or last year, or when they couldn't beat the tigers any of those years, or it, it just, it felt different. It felt like there was hope and promise. And you could see that this team in their first attempt came within a one game of the world series. And it was exciting. And now here we are. They've played three seasons since then. They haven't gotten as close as game seven of the ALCS. Everyone's either injured now or underperforming or older or more expensive. And they've sort of gone backwards. And I know that success in baseball isn't linear. And you can't project that just because you came within a game of the World Series that the next year, the next step would be to get to the World Series and then to win the World Series. I understand that. But to go back in time to the offseason before 18, when this team essentially turned Chase Headley and Starlin Castro into, into John Carlos Stanton was an unbelievable team then sort of got hurt and you know the after the all-star break took their foot off the gas Boone's first season was a disaster the playoff lost to Boston they couldn't have played worse he couldn't have managed worse uh and everything since then has been bad and it sucks because I can't believe that this window could close without this team winning a championship and that's if you told me that on the night that they lost game seven and 17 I would have said that's impossible Exactly. That's exactly how I felt. I mean, I, it didn't even feel like, you know, a crushing loss, as you said, when they lost in seven. And, um, you know, our wonderful man, Greg Bird, made the last out of game seven. So, I know. And, uh, I, and what stinks about him is I was a big fan of his. And in 15, he was one of the only shining spots that season when they collapsed after the All-Star break. I think they had a seven game lead at the trade deadline. Um, and then the Blue Jays went out and traded for everyone. And he was like the only guy in the Yankees hitting. Uh, when they lost the one-game playoff, which was obviously going to happen against Dallas Keuchel at that stage, and to hit that home run with Miller in 17. But Greg Bird, he, he got cocky, and he turned into something that was easy to root against towards the end of his time. So I'm, you know, I'm glad he's not here anymore. But to think that of what he was and where he is now is, is shocking. Yeah, a famous quote from Greg Bird is he has, you know, five, six, seven thousand <laughs> more chances. And I'll tell you, he, I think he had 100 more chances, and that's all he got. So uh, yeah. He's definitely gone. But going to 2018, as you said, you were talking about the Stanton trade. 
looking back at it now, and let's say you're in the, the feet of Brian Cashman, would you make the Stanton trade again if you had the chance? Uh, I think the Yankees would not. I think that they would never say that, though. But the fact that they basically got him at whatever his, you know, annual uh, hit is, it was $23 million, like over the entire time because the Marlins are paying so much of the money, they essentially got him for nothing. They traded Starling Castro and nothing. I mean, Caleb Smith was pretty solid for them, and, and the Yankees could have used him. But to get John Carlos Stanton coming off a 59 home run season, one of the best offensive seasons in the history of baseball, you're getting the MVP for nothing. And they're essentially giving you money for him to play for you. Uh, it's shocking. And uh, in hindsight, yes, it's easy to say what he's become in the injuries and the fact that he can't play the outfield and he's destroying the DH spot and giving guys days off. So now when someone needs a day off, you really have to make two days off because you can't use the DH spot because of him. Um, and, and I made a trip up to opening day 2018 to Toronto for the first two games. Mm-hmm. And when he was ecstatic. Runs, yeah, it was, I was like, holy moly, this guy is unbelievable. Like this team is going to win it all every year and to see what he's become. And it's just, it's not great. And I know everyone's like, oh, give him a, give him a pass this year because of what he did in the fanless postseason last year. And that's sort of who he is. And to do that in front of no fans kind of makes sense because when there's fans in the building, he doesn't perform as well. And you could see that early this year. He had the one grand slam, and he's done nothing else besides that in the first week plus of the season. So the Yankees didn't need him when they traded for him. They still don't need him because if you think about it, in 17, they didn't have him. They got to game seven. Uh, in 18, he was horrific. He, that, that bat against Craig Kimbrell, I'll never yep. get out of my mind. Yep. And then in 19, he, did, he took himself out of the lineup in the ALCS, and they still got to game six. So this team doesn't need him to succeed. It would be great if he could help out because he's always going to bat fourth. He's always going to be right in the middle of the lineup taking at bat. So it would be nice uh, if he could actually do something, but they don't need him to succeed. He's just sort of a luxury. It was funny because the media was all on, you know, since this season is, has no fans, Stanton should do well. And it's just, it's, it's hard to listen because he's an MVP candidate yeah. you know, when he's on and he can't even produce with, you know, fans in the building. Uh, yeah. It's insane to think. So let's go to 2019, um, another heartbreaking season, losing in six to Houston, you're on the Altuve uh, walk-off home run. So the, the lineup had a lot of moving parts that season, you know, the 30 plus injured stints, the next man up man, mental, mentality, you know, we had Edwin Encarnacion coming in midway through the season. Uh, Mike Talkman had his six weeks of fame. What will be the thing that you look back on in that season or the series and say that's the reason they lost? Uh, the reason they lost was game two. They blew the lead. They had the lead against Justin Verlander. If they win that game, they're up two games to none in the series going home. And then if they lose game three to Garrett Cole, it doesn't matter that much because you're still home for four and five and you still have the series lead. Losing game two was was crucial. And they – they blew that game, and then they lose the next innings because they had to bring Jay Happ in because they had no one else left. And that's, that's part of the reason the Yankees roster is poorly constructed year after year. You knew eventually he was going to give it up. It was just a matter of, like, is it this inning or is it the next inning? And when Correa hit that ball out, it wasn't, it wasn't even surprising. It was like that was inevitable because the Yankees cannot hit right-handed relievers. And every team, for the most part, is going to have mostly right-handed relievers because most pitchers throw with their right arm. And you look at what the Rays did last year. They built essentially a roster to purposely beat the Yankees. They have contact hitters, they had great starting pitching, and they had right-handed relievers with all different release points coming at you from all different angles, and the Yankees couldn't hit them. And the Astros, while their bullpen a couple of years ago was nowhere near what the Rays was last year, it was, still, it was still too much for the Yankees to handle. And to go back to that series, I mean, Boone didn't really do anything wrong in that series, which is kind of, I guess, a compliment to him when he doesn't do anything wrong. 
Um, but the team just wasn't good enough and they couldn't hit. They, the Astros hit like something like 190 or 200 and somehow the Yankees were actually even worse than that. So neither team really hit. The problem was when the Astros got their hits, there was two guys on or there was two outs in an inning and they made every hit they got count. Um, so to go back to that, when they won game one, whatever it was, seven, nothing when Tanaka dominated and Glaber had the huge game and you're thinking, Hey, they might do this this year. And it seemed like it. Uh, but then Boone started to to screw around with the lineup. He moved Glaber out of the three hole. He got Brett Gardner batting third. Um, you know, no one could really hit outside of LeMahieu and Urshela had a couple hits and Glaber had a few hits in the first couple games. Aaron Judge was awful. Uh, Stanton took himself out of the lineup. Gardner was awful. Encarnacion and, and Sanchez are are odd because no one remembers. Everyone remembers they were terrible in the playoffs, but no one remembers. Neither of those guys really played in September. They were got hurt in the first yep. week of September and then they were out for the entire September until like the last two games of the season. And then it was the postseason. So they really had no time to come back and get ready. Now that's Boone's fault for batting Encarnacion like fourth and fifth in the series because of that. Uh, but it's hard to really get on those two when they, they missed the whole month leading into it. So that was, that was the, a big missed opportunity. And uh, I think they would have won it if had they got there. I know the nationals did and they, did what they did with Corbin and Scherzer and, and Strasburg, but um, I don't, that was, that was a huge missed opportunity there. Absolutely. And you, you think of those games, you know, 2017 game two, those close, you know, two, one, one, one games against Houston. They're mostly in Houston um, yeah. and they just can't hit. And that's their problem. So, you know, a big thing throughout these last three, four years has been the hitting mentality and Marcus Timms, you know, being the hitting coach, um, you know, allowing, you know, two forty hitters. And if they hit the ball hard, it's, that's all they want. Is that the a main thing that needs to change? Because you look at Houston, you look at Tampa Bay, they're contact driven. Is that another thing that's holding back this team? Yeah, I think it's I think the actual players are holding it back in this sense. I don't really ever get on like Marcus Timms or, or Matt Blake or when it was Larry Rothschild or Ron Guidry or uh, Dave Island and Kevin Long. It's 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 hard to get on a pitching coach and a hitting coach because the guys are gonna do what they got what they did to get to the major leagues they're not just going to change because Marcus Timms is and I'm sure he could help them break down video or look at you know move your foot here but at the most part when they're in the batter's box it's them and the pitcher he has no say over it's not like Boone where he actually controls who plays when they play which reliever comes in he has so much control over the team and I don't get when people say oh the manager doesn't really impact the games that much which is just beyond me for I don't know how anyone could think that so but the the team is built poorly they have all right-handed hitters and then they try to balance the lineup with left-handed hitters, but their left-handed options are Aaron Hicks, who isn't very good, and Brett Gardner, who is – he's a nice player, but it's, he's 38 years old. I mean, he, he can't do what he once did. So when you hear things like today on Sunday, this game against the Rays, Brett Gardner is playing because Aaron Boone says they want lineup balance. You cannot have lineup balance. You have a team that's all right-handed heavy. So you have to play all right-handed hitters. And even if you do something as dumb as put Aaron Hicks in the three hole to, to divide up the righties after Aaron Hicks, there's still going to be eight, eight right righties, bats yep. in a row. It, it makes no sense. So the line, the, I get that Brian Cashman talks about just get the best talent available and it will work itself out. But at some point you need some left-handed hitters in there. You, you look at what the blue Jays did with their bullpen in the opening weekend. You look at what the Rays have done these last two days. These teams, they know how to beat the Yankees. You get the lead in the sixth inning, you go to right-handed relievers, and they have no chance at coming back. And that's going to be a huge problem throughout the season. And I know that this team is built to beat up on the Orioles and the Red Sox and the Tigers and the Royals. And 
over a course of 162 games, they'll destroy get number three and four and five starters, and they'll rack up and pad their stats and have great runs. But all this the Yankees are right now is about the postseason, and, and that's pretty much the Yankees as a whole. So everything that they're doing for these six months is to win in October. And to win in October, they're going to have to get timely hits, and they're going to have to beat bullpens. And those are the two biggest problems with this team. Absolutely. We've seen fit, uh, runners in scoring position, you know, left there throughout, you know, the first six, seven games of the season. And it doesn't seem like it's going to change. So you, uh, you mentioned this before, and I wanted to get your reaction. because it's, it's one of the uh, biggest, you know, misconceptions slash, you know, confusions in the Yankees fans' minds. So uh, going back to 2020, um, we know the Tampa Bay series, COVID year, 60 games. But what was your initial reaction when TBS cut to the shot of Jay Happ warming up in the pen in the first inning of game two? So I was actually, I can remember the moment because I was scrolling on Twitter at that mm -hmm. point, And I think it was Eric Boland from Newsday who uh, tweeted, you know, Jay Happ warming in the bullpen. And at that moment, it was like my heart sank because I knew what that meant. And I knew they were going to pull a stunt and they did and it backfired and it cost them their season. And the fact that when you go back and you hear the, in hindsight, the, um, the decision-making process from Aaron Boone's end of the season press conference and Brian Cashman's end of the season press conference. And Brian Cashman made sure he was not attached to that decision. He said straight up, the manager has the lineup card. They have the bullpen management. Aaron Boone is not a puppet. He has all the control. That was the way under Joe Torre. That was the way under Joe Girardi. And that's the way it will be for as long as I'm GM. So he said, this was all Aaron Boone. And then Aaron Boone went out and said, you know, we thought using his, his key phrases of ultimately and lanes, he loved talking about the lanes of a pitcher, talking about how they thought that they could get Tampa to create an all left-handed lineup, which they almost did. And then they could get Jay Happ the lanes to go in and win. The problem is Jay Happ is not Clayton Kershaw. He's not Blake Snell. He's not a great left-handed pitcher. He's so bad that the Yankees not a Yankee anymore because they didn't pick up his option because he's horrible. He had not been good as a Yankee since the moment before he blew game one of the 2018 ALDS. And yet they decided that with a series lead, they were going to pull some trickery. That's something that the Rays would do because they're the Rays and they have to look for these inefficiencies to win games. That's an embarrassment for the Yankees to go out there and think that they're going to pull a magic trick against the Rays. And it didn't work at all. Hap was horrible. As soon as he came in, Kevin Cash went to his bench and started picking off the right-handed hitters and putting them in the lineup. It completely backfired. It changed the entire series. And I don't want to hear people say, oh, it came down to one run in game five. It didn't come down to that because it shouldn't have. If, if they don't pull the stunts they do in game two, there likely is not a game five and they win the series in four. So it's, it was a horrible decision. It's the worst move that Aaron Boone has made as Yankees manager, and he's made a lot of them. He's made ones that are really close, whether it's the Luis Severino game against Boston where he let him load the bases in the third inning after he gave up like seven hit balls at 110 miles an hour or when he brought Lance Lynn in to get out of a bases loaded no-out jam with Green and Chapman and Britton in the bullpen and Batances. And he's made a horrible decision. The decision with Jay Happ will forever be his legacy. And unless this team wins a World Series with him, that will be how I remember Aaron Boone forever. It's a memory that cannot go away. And another thing is, you know, it, we think about game two starters and you look at all these contending teams, you know, you have Walker Bueller slash Kate Kershaw, of course, you know, depending on the Dodgers, um, you look at the Rays glass now, and they had Snell last year or Morton. Um, you look at the Astros, you know, Verlander, Granke. How come the Yankees can't get that number two starter? They have Cole and, you know, Severino has been around there, but they just can't get a certified number two. 
Well, they can. They don't want to, or they choose not to, because if you think about it, Luis Severino is a number one when he's on. And so when he comes back, if he's healthy, he'll be the number two. So they will get there too at some point, hopefully knock on all the wood that he comes back healthy. But every opportunity they've had, if you go back to 17, they could have taken Justin Verlander's salary on. They had, they had him. They could have made a move for him. They decided not to. He single-handedly won the ALCS. He won two games in that series. He completely swung it. If you take those two games and throw them in the Yankees' favor, they win the series in six, maybe even five. The next year, they decide not to trade Garrett for Garrett Cole because they don't want to trade Clint Frazier. They don't want to trade Miguel Andujar. Andujar is essentially not even a Yankee anymore because they don't use him. And Clint Frazier, they, the next two years, they spent not even playing him. So what good did that do by not going out and getting Cole? They could have had Patrick Corbin. They didn't want to give him that additional year. What does Patrick Corbin do in his first season as a national? Helped win the World Series for them. So all of these times, they've had the opportunity. And I didn't want Trevor Bauer, and they could have had him. All it would have cost is money. What do the Yankees have more of than any other team? Money. But they don't want to use it. They don't want to spend it. So every time they have an opportunity to go out and bolster their rotation, they don't do it. And that's how you end up with Corey Kluber on barely hanging on to his career now. And he's going, what? He's like a five-inning pitcher at best. And so far, they've gotten not even four innings out of him, both starts. And then you have Jamison Tyon, who Tyon's going to – he maybe he'll turn it around. Maybe he'll be healthy. But he's 29 years old. He's missed two seasons because of injuries. And they don't want to really use him because they're scared of him getting injured again. Pitchers get hurt. The only way to not get hurt is to not pitch. So either use him as a real starting pitcher or don't use him at all. But we can't have Kluber and Tyon going back-to-back days destroying the bullpen. And then for the rest of the week, you lose Chad Green. You lose Darren O'Day because they had to pitch on those days. So the Yankees, every chance they get to, to bolster their rotation, they never do it. And I'm sure they'll make it to October. I'm sure they'll be fine, or at least I hope they will. And when they get there, you'll have Cole, and then it will be debate city about who should pitch two and three. I don't know how the, Yan- the New York Yankees could not know who's going to pitch games two and three of the postseason for them every single year. It's a problem every single year. 100%. It's a debate that really no one wants to have. So a few more questions here before we wrap up. And going back to your you know, comments on Kluber and Tyone, I just it frustrated me because throughout this entire offseason, we all we heard about was the luxury tax. And, you know, there was even more consistent names that they could even get under the luxury tax, like a Taiwan Walker or a Jake Odorizzi or even a Masahiro Tanaka, who they let walk, yet they decided to go with Kluber and Tyone. How frustrating was that? The, with Kluber, I actually was an advocate for him. I wrote about it as soon as he did his throwing session. I said, this guy is the perfect low-risk, high-reward candidate the, the Yankees never take a chance on. I didn't know it would cost them not bringing back Tanaka. I didn't know they would sort of try to turn Tanaka into Tyon and Kluber because neither of those guys have really pitched in two years. Why can't they have Tanaka and Tyon and Kluber? Mm -hmm. That's what makes the most sense. And they could have. They could have easily done that. But Hal Steinbrenner got to count his pennies, got to make sure he gets all that money back that they supposedly lost last year, even though no one actually knows the the facts behind it. and that's sort of who they are. They, they, sometimes they're against the luxury tax. Sometimes they don't care about it. Some years they're for it. Some years they're against it. You know, if you go back to after 13, they were saying, we're not going to go over. I think at the time it was $198 million. And they're like, we're not going to go over it no matter what. Then the Red Sox won the World Series. They missed the playoffs. They went out and they got Beltran, McCann, Ellsbury, Tanaka. They went blue by it. Now, no one wanted mm-hmm. Ellsbury. McCann deal, everybody wanted at the time. The Tanaka deal, every team was in on Tanaka. Beltron, it made all the sense. Even though they really should have had him back in 2005, 
not in 2014, uh, but that's a different story. So they blew by it then. And then a couple of years later, they blow by it. Then they get under it. Then they blow by it. So are they setting themselves up for next year to go on this, you know, on this crazy run and go get Corey Seager or Trevor Story or somebody? I, I wish I knew. I, I don't think they will. I think Hal Steinbrenner doesn't think you need uh, to go over the luxury tax threshold to win the World Series. And you don't. But if you can, why wouldn't you? Like, if you have the option to do it, why wouldn't you? You would make that money back in 10 minutes of Coors Light sales on opening day. It doesn't matter that you go past it a little and have to pay a tax. The Dodgers have been blowing by it every year. All it got them is a trip to the World Series in 17 and 18. It got them a championship in 20. And now they're like, we're going to go for another championship. So um, that, that must be a great life to have. And, and my wife is a Dodgers fan. She's from Los Angeles. And I envy her because her team's like, we're just going to go out and get everyone we can to try to win. The Yankees... They'll win, but there's a cost to winning, and they're not going to go too far to try to win, just, just far enough. I feel like they're just, like, so satisfied with a DS appearance or a CS appearance, and yeah. there's not, you know, much more to go. So two more questions here. This one's a little bit of an interactive one. So the lineup has been criticized by, you know, you, me, a lot of fans. And um, let's say you were, the Matt, you were Aaron Boone and everyone's healthy. What would your lineup look like? But before you do, because I know you have to think about it a little bit, I'm going to say mine first. Um, so I'd go with DJ. Uh, Geo, Judge, Stanton, and then I don't want, you know, a lot of the strikeout guys um, combined, so I'd go with Clint um, and the five-hole. Then I'd go with Voight, Sanchez, Torres, and Hicks in the nine. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. I mean, it's better than what they have right now. I, I mean, certainly DJ bats first. I would still stay with Judge at second. I understand mm-hmm. the idea of putting Geo there to make potentially more people on base for Judge, but he hasn't been that great this year. I know he was great last year, but it's really hard to quantify what last year was when people say, oh, this guy had a down year and up year. It was 60 games. Yeah. If there was another 100, 100 games, maybe Gary Sanchez turns it around and no one's complaining about him. So no one really knows there. Uh, so I would still stay LeMahieu judge. The three-hole is tricky. I, I like the idea of staying in there because you're putting judges stand back-to-back, but then mm-hmm. you get someone like Tyler Glasnow pitching and you essentially have a you know back-to-back strikeout. So mm-hmm. to me, I would put Voight there. He's a better on-base guy. He's a better contact guy. Then I would go Stanton for um, five. I would go Sanchez. I still think going back to 18, the idea of judge, I mean, Sanchez certainly was much, you know, a different player back then, but the idea back then of judge Stanton Sanchez in a row was amazing. And yeah. I really think Gary's coming back. He'll, I don't think he'll ever be six, 2016 Gary again, because that's just not a reasonable thing. Um, but I think he'll be closer to 17 Gary. So put him fifth, put Frazier sixth, then Torres, then Gio, then Hicks. Hicks is a Hicks should never bat higher than seventh. I don't know why this team thinks he's Bernie Williams. They treat the guy like he never comes out of the lineup. He could be the worst hitter in the league for two months. He's starting every day. And I get that he's the center fielder and he's got a great arm and he plays, you know, great, I guess, great defense. If, if you watch him every day, his routes on balls aren't so great, but he will never come out of the lineup. Clint Frazier could go over four and Brett Gardner could beat out an infield single and then Clint Frazier will be benched for a week. But Aaron Hicks, yep. his lineup spot is forever saved. They gave him the seven-year deal of $70 million. They just They treat this guy like he's done so much when really his time as a Yankee is like a, basically an eight-week period. If you stack up eight weeks, that's really what is driving his career. The same reason Mike Faulkman is still a Yankee because of six weeks two years ago. So – it's very odd, the favoritism and the way they decide, like, who plays, who doesn't, who's in the lineup, where they are. Gary could go 0 for 10, and he will bat 8. 
and then Aaron Hicks could go over 35 and he'll still bat third. So it doesn't make any sense what they do, but your lineup, you could pick the lineup out of a hat and it's probably going to be better than what they're doing. And anyone who says that the lineup and the order of hitters really makes little difference, then why even have it at all? Why not just bat Talkman first and Tyler Wade second and make judge the nine hitter? Because it does matter. And anyone who says that is just biased. It's insane to me to, to see Aaron Hicks, you know, bat three every day. And it's just, it makes no sense to say the least. So last question here, and this one's a, a little bit interesting one. Um, so as we know, we haven't gotten done, haven't gotten it done throughout the last four years. Um, do you think this team can get it done within the next three to four years? And their, you know, so-called window, even though, you know, Hal Steinbrenner doesn't think there's a window. Um, there definitely is um, when they're geared to win a championship. And, you know, if not, if your answer is no, what would be the move they need to make so they can be in that championship, you know, series? I think they can. I, the reason I say that is because the American League is awful. And the Yankees on paper are the best team in the American League. Now, on paper, it doesn't translate into actual wins, as we're seeing as they're three and five through eight games. But mm-hmm. on paper, they are the best team. I believe the White Sox are right there with them. And then there's a huge step off. And then there's like Toronto and Tampa, and I'm sure Houston will be there because the AL West is pretty bad. But the AL is awful. It's really bad. And the Yankees didn't recognize this enough and say, we're going to go out and make sure that we represent the AL in the World Series. We're going to make sure that we have the best team. Rather, they just said, we're going to get better by teams like Baltimore rebuilding and the Red Sox not trying and all these teams who are cutting payroll and not trying to be competitive. They're just like, we're going to get better because other teams are getting worse. They didn't actually try to get better. If you look at the roster from last year, it's the same roster. You just take mm-hmm. Tanaka and turn and make him Kluber and Tyone, there's no difference. You take Adovino, make him O'Day and Wilson, same thing. The lineup is the exact same. And I don't know why people preface things they say about this team with, oh, it's early, oh, it's April, oh, we're a That's weekend. That's the worst. We're not That's a the weekend. Worst. Yeah, this might as well just be the, the continuation of the ALDS last year. And the idea that the Yankees, because they didn't play in November and December and January and February and March, wasn't just going to magically, because April 1st came around on the calendar, didn't just make them better at contact hitting or hitting with runners in scoring position. So I do believe that they can get it done. And I think if, if I mean, if you get to the World Series, anything can happen in a short series. Look at the, I didn't think the Nationals had a prayer to even get out of the NLDS a couple of years ago. They ended up winning the whole thing. Look at the San Francisco Giants run, same thing. Very rarely does the team with the best overall record just demolish everyone in the playoffs. It happens, but not frequently. So the Yankees can get it done. Now, once they get to the playoffs, it's not a guarantee. They're not in the best possible position to succeed that they could have been in had they made some roster adjustments. So the window is closing, like you said. It's not The window is nowhere as long. as If you ask me in 17 how big their window is, it was giant. It was enormous. Now the window is being held up by like a stick and some duct tape and it's almost closed because we're close to judge coming up for free agency which whether to sign him or not is a story for another day gary sanchez this is like his last if he doesn't do well this year i think you know he'll probably be off the team he'll probably be a san diego padre hitting 40 home runs with a beard winning the world series next year and you're going to be stuck with guys like stanton and hicks and they'll just keep bringing brett gardner back forever so the window on this team is is not nearly as open as it once was. It's still there, and I think it's probably you know maybe three or four years at this rate, and that's that's scary because I don't think they're the best team in baseball this year. So if they can't win it this year, it's another missed opportunity, and they don't have many more of them left. Of course, Yankees sitting at three and five of another game today 
in that horrible stadium, the Tropicana Field. Um, <laughs> I love the Trop. I love it. Uh, I wish you, I wish the Yankees loved it as much as you did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you to Neil Keefe coming on my podcast today, the East Coast Bias Podcast, Episode Three with Dylan Pascator. Everyone have a good day.